0: Welcome or welcome back to Modern
1: Medieval Podcast. I'm Elo, And I'm Megan. And this week we are doing a... So originally we were going to do The Last Duel, but both of us were not able to watch that with time to record. So we did one that we've been wanting to do, which is Netflix's 2019 film, The King. And so still getting that kind of medieval cinema fighting spiel. And yeah, we're just going to kind of talk about it loosely. There's a lot to be said, not only about the film, but its inspiration uh, coming from, you know, Shakespeare's Henry ad, specifically his play Henry V, which we could do a whole episode on. We could do a whole episode on the Battle of Agincourt. We aren't military historians, and also it's just very complex. So we're just going to kind of talk about the, the movie itself yeah our thoughts what we've done in the past just wanted to put that up front for everyone also the the Lord med. yeah Mod med Durs. Um, <laughs> um so yeah Elo, why don't you kind of give first thoughts impressions i don't know so
0: i watched it with the premise that megan had given me that it was quite a long film Mm -hmm. um and kind of a slow burner and I agree with that statement um I was quite impressed because I don't think much of Timothée Chalamet so I thought he did quite a good job I thought there was quite a lot of like Machiavellian uh, Machiavellian Machiavellian yeah Machiavellian there were quite a lot of Machiavellian (laughs) um you know philosophical ideals there and like there was a lot of like typical good film power seeking power self interest and that and there's a lot of like good character development mm-hmm. um in terms of medievalness i don't it's look more like fantasy rather than medieval um but i really appreciate how like you know i i thought it was i, I felt immersed in a world um
1: good.
0: yeah no a fairly good review like There were some bits I thought were kind of slow Mm -hmm. and unnecessary, but I appreciated the fact that it was like both French and English. I thought that worked quite well. And it was very funny to watch Robert Pattinson and something.
1: So good. So over the top. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) Um, Yeah, so I asked Ello first because if you're a longtime listener, it is known that Ello... um, attention span and films can sometimes wander mm. so when we have longer films like this it's always like okay what did you think but I'm glad that you got immersed and enjoyed it um it's just further building up to you know Lord of the Rings we're gonna do it someday because one day I'm, I'm training you you don't one know one day <laughs> <laughs> one day long long
0: a long time from now I still don't think I could do that just yet
1: it's so funny. Cause when I got my tree, my Christmas tree, um, two weeks ago, cause it was snowing here in Manchester, like big, thick, fluffy snow. I was like, I gotta get my tree. So I like, took it in my little, I call them granny wagons, those carts, you know, mm-hmm. it was a whole journey. Um, and you know, I've seen the Lord of the Rings so many times that I just put on fellowship of the ring. Cause I have the DVDs and I was like, Oh, it's over. Okay. That was good. Let's put in the two towers. You know, and just was doing chores and in the background. I called my family. And I was like, oh, it's dark, but it's 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. Let's put in the last one, Return of the King, which is like three hours. And I sat there and watched, like immersed myself in Return of the King, which I forgot how just fucking good it is, like crying and getting all emotional. But yes, yeah, so I watched all three Lord of the Rings in one day. I didn't know I was able to do that, but apparently I am.
0: <laughs> that must be some sort of record, I think, possibly.
1: Nah, there are people who watch the extended editions and marathons. But yeah, anyways, so just, I think it's interesting that you said you had a fantasy feel for this film, because I thought that it was actually pretty good in its medievalness. ness um, You know, the muted colors was a choice and everything, but not it felt more real than other medieval films I've seen where it's kind of caricature to be medieval and dark and gloomy. I think it kind of suited this film. And yet with Timothy Chalamet, he is sl- getting under my skin in like a good way more and more. Uh, over the really? past few years, I was like, oh, I just don't get it. Like, you know, he was fine in Lady Bird. Still haven't seen Little Women, you know, but I love Great Old Girl Week and the cast that's in that. Haven't seen Call Me By Your Name yet, which everyone's like, you need to see it. And I'm just like, okay, well, when it comes, when I find it on a That's quite that good. Form. He's just kind of like young looking
0: and...
1: Yes, but I don't know. So American. That's
0: American. His parents are him.
1: French though, too. So, and it's funny because he's well, playing... Well, he grew
0: up in, the New, in New York and so he doesn't speak like...
1: No, he speaks fluent French. He does, but
0: it doesn't sound properly proper. Like, he's got, like, a small, small accent.
1: Yeah, I mean, fair enough. Um, But I don't know. Like, I saw him in Dune. So I saw Dune with him. And I actually thought he was really good in that. Um, You know, the reviews were kind of like, oh, he's, like, a blank slate and kind of boring. But in Dune, he's, like, Paul Atreides is supposed to be this very, like, moldable figure. And then kind of coming to this, I don't know. I'm impressed. I've also seen him in, um, oh, it's the name of the film with Steve Carell that he's in. And he's like the drug addict son that's based on a true story. It's like daddy's, daddy's boy. That's not what it's called. Um, But he was really good in that. And I just kind of like sat there and started to think, oh, I actually quite like him as an actor. Um, Beautiful boy was what was. The film is called. Mm. Uh, He has beautiful eyeballs. I'm a big sucker for, like, nice eyeballs. And so, you know, we get a lot of close-ups in this film, The King. And I was just like, "Mm, yes, nice eyeballs. (laughs) Um, So, Winner. Yeah, he looks young. But he is, like, 25, 26, which is, like, I don't know. He's, like, young. But I also feel, I don't know. This will be, like, a baby TED Talk about why I am slowly becoming a telephone timothy chalamet like person is so like seeing dune beautiful boy and things one thing i really respect about chalamet is a he's aware that he's like scrawny and like kind of p- plays that like in this there were scenes that just fucking felt hilarious to me where you know when he's in his armor going to fight hotspur kind of at the beginning of the film and if you just look like the armor's so small because he's so tiny and also his pants kind of always look like he had like a poopy diaper. Like they just didn't hang on his, <laughs> his hips because there's nothing there. Uh, but maybe that's also just like the style because that is kind of. But that maybe aside, that. Um, one thing about Chalamet is that um, he's not afraid to look ugly. And I mean that in like there were scenes in this film where he had like vomit on his lips or would cry and have snot coming out of his face. Um, when he does the kind of war cry speech before the Battle of Agincourt, which I do want to share because it's like a minute and a half long when we get to that point. As he's speechifying, like his face gets modeled and red and his eyes are getting bloodshot. And I don't know, it's just like, he went that extra bit. And I just find, I was thinking of other, you know, acclaimed actors and when they do those sorts of things maybe it's the way that they were trained theatrically or something like that there's perhaps more poise I don't know it's just something like in Dune when um the venergestria comes and he has to put his hand into this box that causes like immense pain and it's a test if he removes his hand from the box he dies thing and there are just lots of close-ups and like His facial expressions and like contortions, it's, it just feels very fresh to me. And I really just respect that. And then just in interviews, he's like really awkward in like a, uh, not like an Aubrey Plaza way or anything, but just, he's like, he seems very um, kind and makes fun of himself. He's like, yeah, I see pictures and I'm just like a white ghost surrounded by people. Like here I am. (laughs) I don't know. I just, is he, growing on me. It's not like, oh, he's my favorite actor or anything. Mm-mm. Like him as Willy Wonka, not really sold on that. But I'm also like more intrigued than I was when that was first yeah, announced. And I guess to loop back to this, because yes, thank you for coming to my TED Talk. I think that he was really good in this.
0: No, I agree. I agree with you.
1: I think that his character development was, and the way that he carried it, you know, and acted it. Um, was so good especially in the like twist at the end when he bangs the wall and says like stop fucking lying or like tell the fucking truth or whatever because he is so little so when he projects and kind of shouts and you're like oh that came from such a small body (laughs) but I thought
0: that he was quite like I didn't feel like you could notice the the smallness of him body and himself in this character like I thought he looked he had like he managed to get like an air about him that emanated power. I thought. I thought it was he did quite a good job in that because like yeah. obviously like he, as a as a king you wouldn't really choose him especially as one
1: well, history Henry. wouldn't have chosen either. Yeah, exactly. So, so like he had to die.
0: Yeah, well especially as Henry, like I thought that he did like he must have like done quite a lot of work on like figuring out how to appear, you know, worthy of the character that he was impersonating or like um, convincing.
1: Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. It's like very well put. Yeah, I think that, you know, in the be- again, I think character development when he's the um, kind of like drunkard womanizer at the beginning, right? Which mm-hmm. is a Shakespeare. Uh, yeah, that, manifestation that wasn't very convincing forever, to me. Um, Yeah, also like I'm assuming he was wearing a wig in those first scenes because it just looked bad. You know, yeah, he seemed a bit small and just, like, whatever then, you know. And, uh, yeah, we got, like, shirtless scenes. You can also just see, like, a pencil-ness of him. (laughs) But, uh, yeah, I mean, even when he, you know, he wasn't king yet. But when uh, they're at the um, Battle of Shrewsbury. No, not Battle of Shrewsbury. Sorry. Um, But when he goes up to Hotspur and, you know, they fight. And Hotspur, as we know, is, like, very hot-headed and, like, strong but lithe and then you have chalamet as hal as henry he's not yet king um fighting him and they're yeah it's kind of like oh he filled the armor you know the armor as i was saying is like if you actually look at it it's small but he doesn't feel small small and he at that point he's still very uh you know he keeps getting knocked down but like getting up like there's this resilience to mm-hmm. him that becomes really crucial as you know uh and like a restraint that he grows into further as the um the film progresses. And just quick historical tidbit because you notice the scar on his face, right? Ello on the left mm-hmm. side but it his eye. So unlike in the film, uh yes, so Henry and his father Henry IV didn't get along. Mm-hmm. But Henry, as we just said, was not off doing whatever, drinking, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. He was actually involved in the court and like had really important things to say and had the sentiments he has in this film. He Mm. was crowned a knight when he was 13, crowned a knight, huh? He was uh, knighted when he was 13, Mm. fought in battles. And in 1403, when he was 16, he fought in the battle of Shrewsbury and um, got an arrow to the face that like went through his like cheekbone or eye socket and lodged in the back of his skull and um he kept fighting like with this fucking arrow in his face and um after the battle because of how arrows you know are pointed and barbed and everything there was um, a fear of removing it and blood swelling everywhere and then there was also fear if it stayed too long not only of infection but blood poisoning Mm. and potentially like metal poisoning, depending on what the tip was made out of. And so uh, a medical person in the court who was also like a blacksmith and everything uh, named John Bradmore created this device that screwed into the arrowhead and extracted Mm. the arrowhead out of Henry's face. And then they used honey to, as, like, a salve for the wound because there are anti inflammatory and anti infection um, properties in honey. And oh, that, that's interesting. And he survived, of course, as we know. And yeah, in the film, it's like this very pretty, like, mm, war wound. Apparently, in life, it was obviously Great. much larger and a defining feature of his face. Mm. So I thought that was quite, you know, that's like a Hollywood thing. But I, I guess it goes also with the character that he has to become in the film, et cetera. But yeah, so I just wanted to share that because Henry V is known as like a warrior king. And I mean, you see it even at a young age. So this is that instance from the Battle of Shrewsbury was a decade before he's kinged at the age of 26. I forgot where we were before that, but I just wanted to make sure we talked about the scar and historical accuracy, right? It shows up in the film, but.
0: I thought it was really interesting how um, the progression between you know him as non-king, then him becoming king, and then also his reluctance to go to war.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: I think it's quite different for for someone who knows nothing about kings. Although I should, I feel like it's kind of a different portrayal than I had of him in my mind. Um, and then obviously there's a progression towards mm-hmm. so the the realities of war and why you need a war in that time frame and all that.
1: Yeah. Um... So, and
0: I felt like it was quite a good angle to like explore in a film as well.
1: Definitely. I mean, it, we definitely, this film is very much about um, character development and, and growth. Mm-hmm. And I mean, Shakespeare, of course, is about that. Like, if you have someone who is not only a drunkard, but doesn't want to be king, become one of the greatest kings, it's a great story, right? So, that's part yeah. of the reason why. This film embodies that because there's no historical evidence that Henry never wanted to be king, mm-hmm. but he also wasn't like his father to like usurp and take mm-hmm. the crown. So of course, they kind of Hollywoodize that and have a semi reluctant king. So I think that yeah, they did a really great job of, and it's very subtle. Mm-hmm. It's kind of you have to think about, you have to watch and think. This is As, phase
0: two, this is phase three, this is phase four. Yeah,
1: it's done very organically. Mm-hmm. There is no evidence that uh, his, what's he called, Lord Chief Justice, uh, his advisor, William, uh, betrayed him in this way and was murdered in mm-hmm. that final scene, which was, like, really good and right. abrupt. Yeah. Um, But the ball incident did happen. Oh, really? The Dauphin did send the ball, Um. You know, and it's like, oh, are you a child? And then also the double entendre of, like, do you play with boys? Um, But apparently there's, like, evidence that 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 is something. I'm not so sure about the the assassin, but so those are the key points in the film for our audience. It's like, on his coronation night, Henry is gifted by the Dauphin of France this leather ball. Um, And it's like, oh, you're so young. You know, it's a jab. And Henry is like... No, I can tell this is a provocation. I'm not going to fall for it because that's what they expect. Um, Because he was very much about wanting to maintain peace, keep power, but not be ruthless and have a change. Mm-hmm. And then second kind of beat in the film is that an assassin is sent to kill Henry. And this is, he's like, this is not allowed. We go to France. Um, And then the final beat is with uh, Catherine of Valois, who it's after a negotiation with the Mad King uh, Charles VI of France, uh, gifts his daughter for marriage betrothal to Henry V. And on a conversation back in England between Catherine and Henry, it is revealed that the assassin was not sent by France, by the king, nor the Dauphin. And it comes to be that it was the nudge that was needed to make him move forward. To make yeah, Henry move yeah forward. And I do want to play a, a clip of that last scene.
2: Yes, problem has arisen. And it wobbles before me now on a silly little stool at my own elevation. I'm afraid I don't understand. Please pay please your Sincerely, stop that I shrink. do not understand. <laughs> stop the fucking charade! Stop it! I have given you what you wanted, boy! Have I not? <laughs> <laughs> You wanted peace, did you not? This is how peace is forged. It is forged in victory. This is The sound of your peace. That is the sound of your (laughs) greatness.
1: And then henry stabs the kneeling lord chief justice william in the back of the head and kills him um but i wanted to play that scene because everything that william is saying is not wrong but it's the act of betrayal on his behalf not being straightforward with Hal, mm-hmm. that leads to his downfall but as that scene cuts out it's shown that um henry just assassinated, murdered uh, William in front of a child, a servant child who was um, watching. So it's like the the innocence lost. And it's just like a really interesting full, it's not a full circle, but it's kind of like an echo or a beat. And you realize how far he's come. Mm -hmm. Not that he was innocent at the beginning, but.
0: He was more of an idealist, I think.
1: Yeah, and he still has ideals and values, but he understands that there is, there are consequences and that there are things that are ugly that need to be done mm-hmm. Um, and then there's like the actual ending of the film which there's a scene after that that how did you feel how it like ended he goes to Catherine he's like always be true and then they hold hands and then it cuts to the credits
0: I thought it was quite interesting because like I think that they allowed her to have a significant role yeah. Um whereas I think in a lot of medieval films it's always based on the male character and not much on the female character but like she the way that she is portrayed I quite liked. Um, and it looked like I don't know I didn't think I didn't think it was a bad ending it was just an ending like it was kind of a continuation to his life if that makes sense the next phase.
1: Right. Yeah, I don't know. I just felt I agree with what you're saying and like Lily Rose Depp did a good job and Apparently Henry and Catherine like truly loved each other, like that even though their marriage was arranged, arranged it for peace and stuff like that, that it was good. And I think the continuation is good. I just felt like as an end to a film that is about, I don't know, just like them holding it that last scene to me, it just felt like there should have been one other thing after that. I don't know, it felt like slightly anticlimactic to me. But I also get it.
0: I, I, don't I don't think it was anticlimactic, to be honest. I don't I don't think I agree with that. Because I think that, like, in this film, which is very much about, like, the different phases of someone's life, mm-hmm. this is the next phase. And then, like, if there was something else after that, then it would be, like, a bow tie scene, you know? Whereas, like, this is just, like, okay, and now we're moving to the second part of his life. And this is, you know, and the story yeah. saga continues.
1: I don't know. I also think it's just like interesting this like you know twist that happens that uh, because two years later Henry reinvades France, so yeah. it kind of historical continuity wise is a bit wonky. Um, yeah. But we can agree to disagree. But I do think that this the the scene with William prior to the I don't know. I just felt like incongruous to me. Like, it made sense for him to go to Catherine, but. I don't know. I don't know. But I want to get to another like set of fun discussions. We briefly talked about it but Robert Pattinson.
0: Yeah, funny looking.
1: What yeah. were your thoughts more like in depth on him as the dauphin? Mm.
0: <laughs> it wasn't per se bad. I was impressed that he could do a French accent. I uh-huh. Convincing one. I thought his acting was a bit sketchy. Like, it wasn't that interesting. He just did, like, the same three range of emotions. So I wasn't, like, fully bought by him. I thought, like, he was like, a good evil person, but, like, he didn't really, I'm not, like, insignificant.
1: Mm. I mean, I, he's only, in, what, two, three scenes. I had mm. a blast because it's so over the top, character-esque, but apparently that's what the director wanted: was mm. someone that was just going to be such a dick, mm. such a just petty asshole, you know, and just like a provoker. And I just thought that uh he was so good at just making you cringe and you just wanted to punch him in the face and Mm. like tell him to fix his stupid hair. (laughs) And you know, I just there and like the 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 shadows in his face as he's like brood skulky whatever. I don't know. I and like when he is killed in the Battle of Agincourt and he's slipping around in the mud in his armor you're just like, yeah, this is what you get, you know, like they did a good job of building to that and the limited scenes they had. Um, He did not, the Dauphin was not at the Battle of Agincourt, by the way, Uh, did not die that way. He died uh, a couple months later, I think just from like natural death. Um, So again, that's like an insertion for plot wise in the film, Mm -hmm. the antagonism between them. Um, But no, I thought it was just like a fun, kind of bizarre addition but as we know, I'm very much into like the over the top, like Nicholas Cage is one of my favorite actors and relish. But Robert Pattinson is another actor where he has like continued to grow on me as you know, he has stepped out of his Harry Potter and then Twilight phase. Yeah. I recently watched The Lighthouse, which is just him and Willem Dafoe by I think it's David Eggers, who did The Witch. Mm-hmm. That's what they're in a lighthouse. And it is amazing. It is so good defoe mm. and pattinson have this really kinetic energy and pattinson is really good i highly recommend it to people it's a very kind of surreal film very like symbolic but that it's just so good um so i'm also maybe riding on the high a little bit of watching that and then seeing pattinson in this just do another really intense performance <laughs> enjoyed it I don't. So I have one more thing. I just wanted to talk a bit more about the Battle of Agincourt. But I don't know if you had something else that was like really poking at you from the film as a whole that you wanted to discuss.
0: No, I think I like my 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 small bits. I've I've said about. <laughs>
1: um, so I'm good to go. Okay. So yeah, the Battle of Agincourt was in 1415, mm-hmm. and this is one of the most notorious battles in British history. Though I would argue it's also a battle, like even if you don't know your medieval history, military history, it's kind of a name that floats around. Yeah. That even if you don't know what happened, it's just there. Part of it is because of Shakespeare's, because it was fought on St. Crispin's Day. So that is something that is, you know, worthy of knowing. So 25th of October, 1415. So in Henry the Fifth, There is the St. Crispin's Day speech by Shakespeare, which, of course, at the end has the famous line, We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother, be he never so vile. This day shall gentle his condition, and gentlemen in England now abed shall think themselves accursed they were not here, and hold their manhoods cheap while any speaks that fought with us upon St. Crispin's Day. And that's like the final bit of that speech. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, even in Buffy, there's a joke about this speech with Giles and Spike, who are like the British characters. And they go like, we few and then tag team, we marry few. We band of brothers as they're walking out. Mm -hmm. And it's just like a funny scene. But also they're going to a huge battle and Giles and Spike don't get along. So it's also just this like we band together. This scene, this speech is not in the film. But just uh, literary and historical, cultural continuity, blah, blah, blah. But this battle is known because the English were severely outnumbered. Estimates mm-hmm. are that the French army, who were on the top of the hill, had around 20,000 troops or soldiers. And the British army had around 8,500. So less than half. Yeah. So you look at that and you go, what? That's a massacre. Uh, for myself, I'm like, nope, <laughs> nope. And so in the film, you know, there's this debate and some of the advisors are like, Henry, turn back. Or like, don't do this, not a good idea. And then Joel Egerton, who plays uh, Henry's friend Falstaff,
0: mm-hmm.
1: uh, says, I have a plan. But quick pause on that. Did you recognize Joel Egerton?
0: His no. voice. Who was it?
1: He plays The Green Knight in The Green Knight. It's the same actor. And he was the oh. lord of uh The Manor with Alicia Vikander. It's the same oh, actor.
0: Oh, that makes sense. I thought you looked slightly familiar, but like I didn't know if it was just like man of the beard in yeah, a uh, medieval
1: costume. Um so, yeah, just also like the medieval film connections. But um he comes up I don't I didn't do enough research to know whose idea it was it could have been henry he's a very good military uh just person i mean he'd been fighting since at least 13 right that's when he was knighted Mm -hmm. very good strategist um but the fact that even though they were at the bottom of the hill so at the disadvantage it had been raining and did rain the night before so it was just a muddy messy swamp
0: -hmm.
1: And the French were on horseback. And so Falstaff says they're going to be on horseback, the weight they're going to be slipping and sliding. And if they're in their armor, they're not going to be able to move around. We go into battle in limited armor. So just like chainmail, not, you know, full night suits and fight on foot. Mm -hmm. And a second thing that's talked about in the film that makes us really famous in history is the English longbow, which was lethal. It's kind of like the machine gun or something of the Middle Ages. And Henry had about four, three or four longbowmen to every soldier on foot. Mm-hmm. Whereas the average, like the French had a one-to-one. Mm-hmm. So even though he had less men, he had just these legless bowers from you know uh, that just obliterated the front lines as they were coming down the hill And yeah, the the battle was fought in this swamp, and I think the film did such a good job of not really glorifying it. Like, it was awkward and close and muddy and just Mm -hmm. ugly. And I liked that they were being killed, like, in the weak parts of the armor, you know? So in the neck and the joints, and you just don't see that that often, I find. It's like, if you're going to see people in armor, it's like knights and jousting. It's not getting to the vulnerable parts. Mm -hmm. And Henry did fight in the battle, um, like on foot, which is shown in the film. And the English, due to their strategy and everything, they win, they're successful in this battle. Like, you know, kind of like the Sparta 300, the true underdog story, like the film is the backdrop to, you know, Shakespeare's play Henry V. It's just a great scene. I think that the the buildup to it in the film too, I know you haven't seen Lord of the Rings, but I felt like it just had this, it wasn't just like, oh, battle, here we go. It was kind of the strategy and the waiting before mm-hmm. and the reluctance. We know that Falstaff, even though he was like, no, this is great warrior, didn't really want to go into battle. Like he has this speech at the beginning about taking a life that haunts you. You don't see that, especially in military uh, or medieval films. I thought that was really great. Mm -hmm. And then him as kind of a compass, you know, earlier when they're sieging the castle, and um, Henry goes, Oh, kill all the, I need you, Falstaff, to kill all the prisoners. And Falstaff says, I won't do that. And you're not that kind of king. And we see some shifts throughout the film where Henry realizes that he will have to do that on occasion, but he also, is very much like a life is a life. Mm -hmm. So great scene. I do one more just clip. I want to play Chalamet's speech. It's about a minute and a half. It's really short, but it'll be interesting to kind of think about it audibly. Because as I was saying, when he performs the speech in the film, he's walking through the crowds of his men and everything. Um, His eyes are getting bloodshot and modeled. And it's, I don't know, You know, I was talking about, like, we were talking about his small body, but in this, even though he's kind of slipping through his men, there's just this sense of power and authority radiating from him, but also a camaraderie. Like, he's one of them. It's very well performed. I mean, that's hard to balance those two. (laughs)
2: Of mere speech, I have only one to give, and it is the same one I'd give were we not standing on the brim of a battlefield, it is the same one I'd give were we to meet in the street by chance, I have only ever hoped for one thing, to see this Kingdom united under this English crown. All men are born to die. We know it. We carry it with us always. If your day be today, so be it. Mine will be tomorrow. Or mine today and yours tomorrow. It matters not. What matters is that you know in your hearts that today you are that kingdom united. You are England. Each and every one of you. England is you. And it is the space between you. Fight not for yourselves, fight for that space, fill that space, make it tissue, make it mass, make it impenetrable, make it yours, make it land make it land. Great men to it, captains, lords, great men to it!
0: must have been really hard to record that over and over and over again. He must have had, like, such a sore throat.
1: Yeah, like, just no voice at all. Um, And that scene, also, we haven't talked about it, and I think it's something to kind of just, like, end on and think about is the language in the film is so good.
0: Yeah, I thought it was interesting that they said fuck a lot.
1: Yeah, I don't think that that was, you know, historically accurate, but the way that they speak, like, certain words like of mine or things like that a lot of historians have been like the language use in the film Mm. is good and better than what you would expect yeah and it didn't feel you know how Shakespeare because he wanted to write niambic pentameter and sometimes it's a bit uh, perplexing because of that um this wasn't quite like that but it was still good solid language yeah so yeah, all in all, what would you give the film? Hello, Shout out of Curiosity, like mm,
0: eight and three quarters out of oh, ten.
1: Eight and three quarters. Okay, yeah, I think I'm in the the uh, same boat. I'd probably go for like an eight point five or so. Like, even though it was long and slow burn, it went quick. Not quick, but like I wasn't like, oh, when does it end? Um, yeah. The only reason I had to pause it was because I either had to like refill my tea or my wine, that's drinking okay. all the tea. <laughs> but it was always like, oh, so much time has passed. Like, but it, yeah. So, yeah. Every, it's available on Netflix because it's a Netflix film. So, if you want to watch it, that any of a subscription, that's where you should watch it. <laughs> and yeah, it's a good one. Recommend. Yeah. So, hello. Why don't you do your thing? <laughs>
0: So if you enjoyed this episode or want to listen to more and want to listen to more, please know that you can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon, Audible, YouTube, basically wherever you want to listen to us. Um, just type Modern Medieval, the podcast. Um, if you want to interact with us, which we always appreciate, um, you can find us on social media. We've got an Instagram account. Our handle is podcast.modern.medieval. We've got a Facebook page and group. It's called Modern Medieval, Pop, the podcast. And then you can email us as well. Type gmail.com. Yeah. And
1: then finally, we have the Twitter, which you can find under the handle at medieval underscore modern. Um, and we just kind of post episodes and sometimes historically relevant things. So yeah, please reach out to us. We always appreciate it. It makes our day. Until next time, I'm Megan. And I'm Ella. And this is Modern Medieval, the
0: podcast.